0: Hey guys, welcome to episode 82 of A True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. So before we get started, we just always want to start thanking everybody. We appreciate all the reviews that people have left, whether it's on iTunes or any other podcast listening platform. We also want to thank those who are spreading the word about the podcast because that's one of the best things you can do for us is just tell others about us.
1: Absolutely. And word of mouth. I mean, that's how, you know, you really build a great community like we have right now. And to have that into the future is just, it's, it's just amazing.
0: Yeah, expanding it has been really fun. And we just also want to thank our Patreons. We're going to name all of our new donators at the end of this episode, as we always do. And... We really have had fun with Patreon because it's been growing and all of our episodes have had really great comments and conversations about it. So we really enjoy growing that way as well. Absolutely. Okay, so are you ready to get into the episode?
1: Yes, I am. Let's do it.
0: So today we have a crazy case for you that comes not from the United States, but from Australia.
1: My favorite place?
0: Yes. sorry, John, though. There's no women with Australian accents in this case. Darn. Mostly men. Today we're going to be talking about the abduction of two boys who were hitchhiking to the Gold Coast in 1982. The boys would be tormented and tortured by their captors. One of them would die that day in the bushland, buried in blood-soaked sand, and the other would never be the same again.
1: Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment.
0: We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. It was May 4th, 1982, when two new friends walked from a park to the train station in Marsden, a suburb of Brisbane. Terry Ryan had recently befriended Peter Aston. Aston was new to town, and he had just moved from Queensland to Melbourne a few months before. Peter was a tall, lanky 13-year-old boy. He wore thick, dark glasses. His newness, coupled with his appearance and the fact that kids can be really cruel, made him the butt of most jokes at Kingston State School. However, Terry Ryan, small himself, saw a friend in the newcomer, and the two quickly became close. Because they were not popular in school, Peter was often made fun of, And the two skipped school to go to the park or to steal snacks from local stores. That is exactly what they were doing on that crisp autumn day. It's weird because we wouldn't think of that as autumn, but it's autumn to Australia because the seasons are... That's true. The plan that day was very different than other days when they skipped school. Peter had gotten into an argument with his mother and wanted to visit his elder brother in Melbourne. But Melbourne was 18 hours away. And the only way he was going to get there was through hitchhiking and train rides. But the train rides cost money and the hitchhiking was free. So Peter was going to hitchhike more than he was going to ride the train. The boys had enough money to take the train to Ben Lee. But from there, they were on their own. Terry was going to accompany his friend as long as he could. But he knew he would be unable to take the whole journey with him. He told his friend he would ride with him until the gold coast which was about 45 minutes away from where they were of course it wasn't the whole 18 hour drive and isn't that just like kid log logic like it really doesn't make sense to go the 45 minutes with your friend and then have to travel 45 minutes back that's true. but like that's such 13 year old boy logic to be like i'll come with you a little bit of the way buddy like you know what i mean
1: yeah, I guess they were just being, he was being nice, but yeah, I, you know what's so crazy too? Like the Gold Coast, it makes me feel like it's like something ripped right from like Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm not going to lie.
0: Well, it it probably looks nothing like the Jersey Shore, so.
1: Of course not. I mean, the Jersey Shore is kind of <laughs> ass. It's not I, I wouldn't good. say
0: that. I, it's nothing compared to Australia. It's though.
1: polluted ass water, of course.
0: Yes, it's pretty terrible. We We... We often visit the Jersey Shore, but rarely go into the water.
1: Go ahead, Tell him. <laughs> tell them what I do. Tell them what I don't do.
0: John is terrified of the ocean, actually. Mm-hmm. So how would you even have fun in Australia? You don't go in the ocean. Well, this is the
1: thing, right? So I wouldn't go in the water because I'm afraid of sharks and only sharks.
0: <laughs> yeah, but they're not. <laughs> where you're knee deep in water, it's not. It doesn't there's m- no sharks. You never know. Okay.
1: Like, what if it's like a ninja shark? Then you're then you're dead. Okay. Then you're dead. I just don't like it, but I do... I would just prefer just being on the beach, just chilling out, baking, like, you know...
0: I could be in the ocean for hours the whole time. Hell no. I love it. It's
1: not happening. And it's not because I can't swim, by the way. It's just because I'm afraid of sharks. But anyway...
0: It's an irrational fear that yeah. you have. Well, we'll it's let pretty bad.
1: We'll, we'll let our listeners decide whether or not my fear is warranted... Or stupid.
0: I feel like there's more deadly animals like in foreign countries than there are on the east coast of the United States.
1: True. And before, I, I don't want to go all T- Typically
0: like, nor- like we're northern so the water's still really cold like True. all the time. It's still freezing in August.
1: Yeah. Isn't that crazy?
0: Yeah. Right in September it starts getting warm and then you can't go to the beach anymore because it's cold outside.
1: Yeah. And really quickly, I don't want to keep going off on this crazy tangent about the ocean, but it's not just sharks. It's jellyfish, like all that weird shit that could fuck you up. I don't like it. It scares me. <laughs> but anyway, let's get back to this awesome case.
0: We did convince John to go into the ocean one time. And every time a wave came, you would think that a sea monster was trying, trying to like drag him into the depths of the ocean. Yeah, I don't he like that. out.
1: Like when the tide <laughs> co- goes back out and it grabs all the sand, it makes me feel like I'm being vacuumed up a vacuum cleaner. I don't like it.
0: He's it's really manly to see him on the beach. <laughs> oh, thanks. <Yeah>. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so before the boys caught the train that would take them to Benley, they stopped at a local Kmart where they stole clothes and a carton of cigarettes. They were chain smoking those cigarettes as they came upon a four-wheel drive Daihatsu, which is kind of like a all-terrain Jeep, like four-wheel drive. It was very common in coastal areas because this is like the choice of vehicles for fishermen. So it's really common and that's going to kind of be in a detriment to police later on. One man appeared to be fixing the vehicle while the other man, who seemed to be a lot younger, was sitting in the driver's seat. The boys approached the men and asked if they were headed south. In fact, they were, the man said, and he offered the two young boys a ride. As they approached the vehicle, the older man called out to Peter. Actually, you get in the front. And this struck Terry as odd. Why would the man want, why wouldn't the man want his buddy to sit up front with him? He'd want to sit up front with a little boy. Like, it was kind of weird, you know? However, knowing his friend had a long journey ahead of him, he just shrugged this feeling off. Like most of us do. When you get like that weird feeling, you don't want to be like the one to say anything, especially when you're young and not confident, so he kind of just brushed it off like whatever.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that happens a lot more than everyone thinks.
0: So as soon as they drove away, Terry's odd feeling would prove valid. As the boy saw the younger man next to him pull a double-barreled shotgun out from beneath a blanket and place it against his head. He remembers making a guttural noise out of terror because the fear left him unable to speak. As Peter turned around and saw the situation his friend was in, The man driving said to him calmly, If you try and do anything, he's dead. So Peter listened. A few seconds later, the man pulled off to the side of the road and handcuffed Peter's hands together behind the passenger seat. The shotgun was still cold against the head of Terry in the back seat. The two men told the boys that they were policemen from Miami. Terry recalls wondering if this was about the clothes and the cigarettes that the boys had stolen earlier. And this is when he began to apologize and ask if he could just give the things back. Terry, almost in hysterics, was instantly silenced by a blow from the butt of the shotgun the man next to him was holding. After driving for about an hour, the men stopped in King's Cliff in New South Wales. The man who was driving drove down a narrow road into the bushland. It was by the water and secluded. It was also just getting dark. It was about a hour drive from where they picked the boys up to where they ended up going. As they drove down the sandy road, the older men told the 13-year-old terrified boys not to worry. This is something they had done before. All they had to do was listen to what they were saying, and they would let them go, just as they had done before to others. Up until this point, the boys didn't know what to think, and they didn't know what each other were thinking either because they were unable to communicate. So far, the two men had gotten rough with the boys occasionally, hitting them with their hands or the butt of the rifle. However, when Peter said his hands were getting numb and hurting from being cuffed behind the chair, the man driving, Bob, they learned his name was, pulled over and adjusted his hands so they could be cuffed in front of him. So maybe, just maybe, they were going to let them go. Because why else would he care otherwise?
1: Yeah, I guess so. But it's like one of those things where... Could that just kind of be like like false hope, kind of?
0: Maybe, like you know? he's playing with yeah, them.
1: absolutely. It's a mind game. It, it could
0: be one or the other. Yeah. What will happen next to these boys is brutal and unimaginable. The exact timeline of these events is shaky. As to be expected, it's hard to explain from within the confines of the story. So I'm going to recount what happened based on the testimony of the surviving victim. The surviving victim is going to have a lot of head injury and trauma. So the attacks of the the attacks that happened on these two boys comes to him in waves. So he doesn't really understand or know the order in which the events took place, but just knows that it did. And using his accounts and what the autopsy report said about the deceased victim and what his hospital records said about him you can kind of piece together what happened. But the autopsy and the and the hospital reports back up this boy's story.
1: Okay, well, that's good. Yeah. We have a record.
0: When the two men parked, the boys had learned the older man's name was Bob and the younger man's name was Paul. They pulled the two young boys out of the vehicle and began punching and kicking them. The blows from their steel-tipped boots badly bruising their bodies. At some point, the boys were told to lie on the ground with their legs spread apart. Their clothes were ripped from their bodies, and they were sexually assaulted by the two men. At one point, Peter tried to run away. One of the men chased after him and brought him back to the others. His clothes were stuffed down his throat and used as a gag, and thumb cuffs were put onto his toes to prevent him from running away again. Because the boy would still not calm down, he was stabbed by Paul in his upper torso And the bottom of his feet. Terry was forced then to perform oral sex on his sobbing and bloody friend. Afterwards, Bob cut Peter's pubic hair off and forced Terry to eat it. After that, Terry was kicked so hard in the groin by the steel-toed boots that he was unable to move, and he was kind of left paralyzed in the sand while the men were attacking Peter. Because he was struggling the most against the men, Peter was the boy who felt the wrath of the two disturbed men. They proceeded to sexually assault him, burn him with cigarettes, stab him all over his body. They seemed to know exactly what to do to inflict the most amount of pain without killing the boy, like they had practiced this before. And Terry was forced to watch on, terrified for what was in store for him next. Peter was then burned badly. When the men lit a flame and sprayed an aerosol can in the direction of the young boy. Peter's hair was cut with a knife that the men had. They so brutally tried to cut his hair that they partially scalped him, exposing his skull. His ears were pierced with a leather punch that Paul had pulled from his pocket. When pieces of flesh from the boy's ear was ripped off, the man put it in a container that he had. So Paul was keeping pieces of the boy's flesh. A frenzied stabbing of the boy begins again by Bob as Paul continues to kick him. Terry specifically remembers hearing a crunch as the knife was stabbed deep into Peter's skull, but Peter was still breathing. This is when the two men take turns hitting the boy with the sharp end of a shovel over and over again. As one was using the shovel, the other was using the rifle that was actually broken because the boy was being hit so hard. They turned to Terry and asked him to hit the boy as well because they were getting tired. Terry said that he tried not to hit Peter as hard as the men wanted him to. He tried to be gentle. He didn't want the boy to be hurt any more than he already had been. The men grab the shovel back from the younger boy and they continue their attack. Terry knows that he needs to do something, reason with these men, so he could survive. So finally, he works up the courage. And he says to them, I want to help. The men look at him, laughing and interested. How can we trust you? Well, I just helped you hit him, didn't I? I'm just as in this as you guys are. And the men think this over. And for some reason, they go with it. Bob takes Terry and makes him walk further away from where his friend is lying, brutalized and somehow still breathing. Terry is told to dig a grave for his friend. He said that he tried to dig several holes, but he kept having to start over again because all of the roots in the area. Finally, though, they completed a hole that was large enough to satisfy Bob, but it was still a pretty shallow hole. Okay, guys, let's take a break to hear from the sponsor of today's show, BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? In my experience, my conversations with a therapist have helped me get through past interferences that I didn't even know were present in my life. And once I could confront them and let them go, my life changed for the better. Well, now there's a way for you to do the same on your own time. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not a self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available to you. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule your weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as you would have to with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Here is an example of a recent review from August 1st. My therapist has been extremely patient, understanding, and caring towards me. She really gave me useful tips on how to manage my emotions much better, and I really feel that I am much better. Visit BetterHelp.com TCC, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join over 1 million people in taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. And BetterHelp has a special offer for True Crime Couple listeners. You can get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash TCC to get 10% off. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TCC. All right, guys, let's get back to the show when terry and his captor made their way back to where the attack took place they saw paul pulling up his pants it had appeared that peter had been sexually assaulted again both men carried peter to the burial site at this point peter was still breathing so paul placed handful after handful of sand into the boy's mouth and his nose then they made terry fill in the sand over the boy he was basically buried alive once the men said that was enough Terry was nervous that they were going to turn on him, but the men, exhausted and covered in blood, told Terry to start walking back to the car. As they were leaving the site of the attack, the men talked to Terry, who sat quietly in the back. We had to do that, Bob said. We are Satan worshippers, and we needed a sacrifice, and your friend had to die. Terry pretended that he was interested in what they had to say, and told them that he understood, because this boy's just in survival mode at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you're in... I mean, I couldn't even imagine being there, dealing with that, and that's your friend. Uh, But yeah, it's like fight or flight kind of...
0: And it's actually, I mean, what adds so much more, like, sadness to this case was the boy was skipping school because he was being made fun of and bullied and he wanted an escape. And Peter Aston doesn't really have the best home life. His mother doesn't really care. And that's why he is able to skip school. And that is why he's able to go visit his brother and no one's going to notice. And then now this is the end that he meets. So it's, it's really sad. It's, it's tragic. tragic. Yeah. Wow, jinx. <laughs> so the men agreed to drive Terry back home. They asked him where he lived. Terry didn't know what to do. He didn't want these men to know where he lived, but he also didn't want to lie to them and have them find out. And He didn't want to know what would happen if they drove him somewhere and he couldn't walk into the house. So he told them where he lived. On the way back to the boy's house, the men stopped at Faux Park, where they disposed of evidence in a garbage can, and they washed all of the blood off of themselves in a bathroom. They then changed into clean clothes and stopped to get something to eat. The men had bought something for Terry, but he recounted that he wasn't able to eat anything. After their meal, they all got back into their vehicle and continued driving. When they reached about a half mile away from where Terry's house was, the men pulled over. First, Bob, the older man, gave Terry a knife and told the boy that he could use it to protect himself if anyone stopped him. The men then reminded him that they were worshippers of the devil, and now they knew where he lived. So if he told anyone about what happened, they would do the same thing to him and his family that they had done to Peter. Terry is told to leave the car, and as he gets out, he doesn't believe that he can go, that he's actually free to leave. So he walks slow at first, praying that the men won't grab him or call out to him. And when he rounds the corner, his slow pace turns into a sprint a panicked run all the way back to the comfort of his parents' home. Shane Ryan, who is Terry's younger brother, remembers being woken up by a pounding and screaming at the front door. It was Terry, and he wasn't making any sense. He kept saying something happened. Someone raped and killed his friend and beat him. His parents were frightened, and they didn't know what had happened to their son or if this outrageous story was true. But they knew he was terrified and that someone had beaten him up very badly. Terry had bruises all over his body and had two pretty, like, serious black eyes. Terry's mother took her son to the local police station while his father stayed home with his siblings. Terry retold the story to a Queensland detective. By the end of the story, Terry was shaking, despite the fact that his mother was holding him. The detectives were shocked by this story, and they rushed the boy and his mother to the Tweed's head police department, which is the jurisdiction of where the attack took place. Terry told his story yet another time. Terry told his story again, but this time the detectives knew the area that he was talking about, as well as the park where he said the evidence was dropped. So after the boy recounted the story, the detectives from two different jurisdictions spoke. There is no way that this 13-year-old boy knows all of this information about the locations in Kings Cliff if something didn't happen. Because they had asked the mother, have you guys ever gone on vacation here? And he said no. She said no. So why would he know the layout of this town if he'd never visited it? Exactly. They convinced the boy and his mother to go back to the scene of the crime. Terry agrees to return as long as his mother and all of the police officers are with him and agree not to leave his side. The first stop Terry and the police officers make is to Faux Park, where he said the evidence was dumped. Blood was found in the bathroom, but there was no clothes found in the garbage can. But the police also knew that they had already come up to pick up the garbage. So if this does come out to be true, they knew that they would have to search the dump where the garbage gets dumped
1: which i'm sure is like a really like difficult task to kind of like rummage through all of like the garbage to find something yes and they do end up doing that that really sucks
0: so this area of king's cliff was a popular fishing spot so there were many tracks entering and exiting the sand this got terry very confused and he misled the police four times And at this point, investigators were starting to think that Terry was lying to them about what had taken place. And they confronted the boy and said, I mean, are you just joking with us? Are you just leading us on a wild goose chase? And Terry became very frustrated and angry. And it was clear to investigators that this boy's not lying and he's a victim. So they continue looking with him. And it's the fifth place that Terry thought looked like the site that proved to be correct. When the detectives shone their flashlights around the area, they were immediately alerted by blood spatter in the trees. It's crazy to think about how... It's crazy to think about how hard the boys were hit if there's blood spatter in the trees.
1: Well, yeah, you know what I was the thinking? The
0: projection of it would have to be tremendous.
1: Well, yeah, think about it like it's the butt of a gun. It's it's stab wounds, punches, kicks, shovel. Catch, a knife. shovel. Yeah. It's like all those instruments... Mm -hmm. They can leave a spatter, you know.
0: It's pretty rough. That is rough. Within the sand, there was a mound that was clumsily covered with branches. But the attempt at covering up the body was futile, as the sand all around it was soaked with blood. Just beyond the burial site was a knife and its sheath in the sand. Knowing the gravity of what was found, the detectives wanted to do the right thing and ensure the integrity of the scene. They secured the area with tape and called in crime scene investigators. As the police continued to gather evidence, they continued to question Terry about what happened, and the boy recalled all of the details he could. He told again the horrific things that happened to them, said their names were Paul and Bob, and that they drove a Daihatsu four-wheel drive vehicle. He said it was believable at first that the men were cops, because they did have police haircuts. However, throughout the night, all the men were talking to each other about was the army. It seems that all the physical evidence completely supports the story that Terry was telling police. And if this is the case, that means they have two very violent offenders on the loose. The body of Peter Aston was slowly exhumed and an autopsy was performed on the young boy. Everything that Terry had said had happened to his friend, clearly had. The medical examiners were shocked and they determined that the injuries that peter suffered would have left him brain dead if he had survived the attack his ultimate cause of death however was suffocation from the sand that was shoved in his nose and mouth as it was found in his lungs it was the worst crime that new south wales had ever seen
1: i mean that's pretty rough i mean what they did yeah. to him was was brutal i mean it's It's devastating to hear that. Like, you know, it's devastating to hear that. You know, I mean, he's 13 and and, and all this stuff just happens to him. It's like, I don't know. He's so innocent. I feel like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I feel this all the time. But with this, for some reason, I feel this overwhelming sadness that I normally, like, don't feel it. Like, it's not as strong. And I think it's because, like, these two boys were friends and, like, the one, unfortunately... You can connect with it differently because... I guess so. It's like one of them died tragically... Uh, you know, and, and it was so sudden. And then the other one's like traumatized. <laughs> it's, it's so crazy. It really is.
0: It really is crazy. And this case, because it's so brutal, is going to be used in Australian politics for a long time to try and get the death penalty into Australia for crimes as brutal as this. The medical examiner is going to say that a lot more wounds probably existed then are listed in the autopsy, but because his body was so badly burned when they lit they like they lit a fire and then they sprayed the aerosol can. So it's kind of like a large portion of his upper torso was burned so badly that they couldn't tell the wounds that were right. underneath. It was almost
1: it. like it was like a flamethrower. Yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Early the next morning, police asked the public for their help in finding these men. They realized a sketch a description of their vehicle and the fact that they may be connected with the military or the police in some capacity. The police did everything they could. They even went to the dump, like you said before, where the garbage from Faux Park was emptied and they sifted through, I think it was 25 tons of trash. And they did end up recovering bloody clothing dumped by the men. They also recovered a rope, a shovel and pieces of a gun.
1: Wow. I mean, so they did pretty well. They
0: did. They were lucky to find that. After the police released that information about the two men, calls began coming in. One call came in anonymously from Angora Army Base, which is located in southeast Queensland, where a man claimed to know the two men that had committed that crime. Their names were Robin and Peter. They lived together on base and drove the same type of vehicle. So far, that had been the most promising lead, so investigators headed directly to the army base. They were given permission to search the room of the two men. And what they found was pretty crazy. 37 knives and swords. There were also books of very young boys in bondage and various sexual positions. There were dozens of books on S&M and Satanism. Most horrifying of all, though, was a scrapbook. This scrapbook contained various boys' names and Ziploc bags of hair, with explanations on where they were from. So for example, one bag was labeled Bill Underarm Hair. Bill pubic hair.
1: That's gross.
0: And but then it also ties in though to Terry's story of what they made him do with Peter's pubic hair. So and they were cutting his hair
1: right. too. So right, right. it
0: is connecting them to the crime.
1: Oh, it definitely is. That's but so it's disgusting. Horrific, oh. I know.
0: So this room of horrors belonged to 34-year-old Robin Reed and 17-year-old Paul Luckman. That boy was only 17 years old. So he's only four years older than the two victims. And he showed zero empathy for them.
1: That's insane. Yeah. But sometimes crazy people find one another. Like people who are kind of demented like this, they gravitate towards one another.
0: Unfortunately, yes, this is very true. So perfect, right? They found who did it. But there was one problem. The two men were missing from the army base with one other person. Also in the room, police found crutches. And when they inquired about what they were for, they were told that Luckman had visited the regimental aid post because he had a wounded foot. He said that he had gotten it from kicking a wall. The injury was so severe he couldn't walk on it. I mean, we know that's from kicking the boys with his steel-toed boots on. Investigators were convinced that they had their guys. They knew that the Daiatsu that the men usually drove was still at the base, so they had to be in the third soldier's car. The other soldier was Robert Podzetti, and he drove a Holden Sunbird. An APB was put out for the car, and roadblocks were put up all around the nearby highways. All they could do at this point is question those on base while they waited for the men to be captured. They questioned the privates on base, and they had an interesting story to tell. They said that Reed was in charge of where the new recruits lived, so he also put new recruits with himself, and what he would do is he would see if they were interested in a sexual relationship with him or into his SNM material that he had. They said that when he found someone that liked the stuff he did, they often stayed with him for a long time, and that his newest charge was Paul Luckman. So I think it's, it's pretty crazy that this is common knowledge on an army base that you have a guy who is in control of where new recruits are placed to live and he always places them to live with him. And he's trying to take advantage of them sexually and see if they're into what he's into.
1: That is bizarre. And that's even that makes this whole thing even worse. Yeah. You know? By the way, fun fact. I don't know if you know this. Do you know that Holden, the car company... Uh, is an Australian-based company, but it's actually affiliated with G- uh, General Motors here in the United States and in other places around the world. Oh, Just wanted okay. everybody to know that, and I wanted you to know that because yeah. I know that.
0: Thanks, John. Yeah,
1: because I'm a Chevy guy, so I know that Holden is like a subsidiary. I guess, I guess that's okay. what it is to GM. So.
0: Well, good. Thanks so for your fun fact.
1: Yeah, so if there's Chevy models, there's literally identical versions, but they're called Holdens, but it's, it lo- literally looks the same, different emblem.
0: Okay.
1: Just wanted everybody to know that.
0: Thank you. Appreciate it. You got it. (laughs) I think that it's crazy that Robin Reed is grooming, essentially grooming, all of these men at this army base. And no action has been taken before this. Do you know what I mean? I mean, his room... Is filled with this stuff. Are you telling me that no officials check any of the rooms of the people on the army base?
1: I was going to... I was also... Yeah, I was just going to say that because think about all the um the swords <laughs> and, the, and the knives. Yeah, I mean, unless
0: he's such a high rank that they don't check. But I don't know. It's, it's very disturbing.
1: I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know how their military system works and like how they do things. But it is a little bizarre that they wouldn't check to see what they have going on, especially when they're living on base. But I guess that's a question that we might need to ask somebody in the military or something. I don't know.
0: Right. Well, detectives got another lucky call while questioning those on base. It was from Robert Ponzetti, the private that was missing with Reed and Luckman. He said that he was abducted by his two fellow Armymen while he was in the mess hall. Luckman told him first that they just needed to use his car so that they could drive to the hospital for his foot but when he refused, he was abducted at knife point. He had to drive with the knife to his throat on the New England highway. Once they entered the town of Tenterfield, they let him go. He had called the army base to let them know where he was and he was then instructed to contact the police. Once their northbound direction was determined, a roadblock was set up on the New England Highway near a town called Glen Innes. The two men were arrested at the roadblock. So the police really got lucky with those two calls. First, the anonymous tip that it was them. So I think that was maybe somebody's way of like telling on Reed, saying like, this guy's doing this stuff and we're going to let you know. Oh, yeah. And then Ponzetti calling in. That was a huge tip off. Oh, definitely. When questioned about what happened, the two men instantly began blaming each other. They kept saying that the other was responsible for inflicting more pain on the boys. It was clear that Luckman idolized Reed and that Reed thought he was the smartest man on earth. It was clear that Reed was trying to pass an insanity plea from the beginning. He said that he only did what he did because he was hearing voices. And this is also the tactic that he's going to use in court. Now, I only say that this might not be real because Reed changes his story about what he does and doesn't hear the voices multiple times, along with all of the evidence in his room pointing more towards the fact that he was a violent offender. It is clear that he had these intentions for a very long time. There was even an essay found in his room that he wrote about kidnapping a boy, taking him into the bushland and taking his clothes off at knife point. Sounds very familiar to what really happened. Yeah.
1: Well, it's one of those things where sometimes they play they, they play it to their fantasies, and then eventually it can't just be like, like corralled anymore, and then they actually act on their fantasies. It's right. Kind of, it's crazy.
0: Exactly. That's what they say about like peeping toms. That yeah. eventually they're going to act on their fantasy. It's insane. So now, after the two men are arrested, another boy steps forward. This boy's name is John Bruce, and he's sixteen years old. He was at a nightclub only days before the abduction of Terry and Peter. To get home, he had planned to hitchhike. Unfortunately, he was picked up by Reed and Luckman. He was blindfolded and gagged in the back seat of the car by Luckman and was brought to the same area the boys were brutalized. Reed told the boy, as he was putting together a bow and arrow, that if he could get away, he would just let him go. So it was kind of like the most dangerous game, like he was going to hunt him, basically. And he said, if you can escape me hunting you through the bushland, then you can leave.
1: Which is also crazy. Terrifying. Which is a good short story, though, but crazy.
0: Yes. I think it's the only short story you've read. read. So, i read. Absolutely. That's why you're so proud totally. of the fact that you know what I'm talking about. I know
1: exactly what you're talking about. Yes, I'm, I'm happy to know that.
0: <laughs> so, as the boy started running, he was triggered by an asthma attack. And he fell to the ground because he was panicked.
1: I can relate. I have asthma.
0: Thanks, John. (laughs) I have asthma too.
1: Yeah, but my asthma is real. Your asthma is like fake asthma.
0: (laughs) Are you kidding me? I don't have fake asthma. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm going to tell my mom you said that. I have real asthma. Okay,
1: okay, okay. That's
0: so mean. I'm sorry. I'm so offended right now. I can't even continue. (laughs) I'm I'm losing my place because you just said I have fake asthma. All right. I'm just kidding. And it's made worse by my deviated septum.
1: You're 100% right. Okay. I love you.
0: So Reed is going to pick up the boy and tell him that he understands and he feels bad because he knows what it's like. He suffers from asthma as well. Reed also doesn't have fake asthma. We all have asthma. Reed and Luckman agree to just forget it and they're going to drive the boy home. So this plan doesn't kind of go into fruition for them, which is why they picked up the two boys, Peter and Terry a few days later but while the boy was in the back of the car he actually managed to screw off an arrowhead and the police were later able to connect that arrowhead to the one found in Luckman and Reed's vehicle so that was pretty smart of the boy and pretty ballsy I have to say I would be terrified to do anything but they're gonna do a similar thing here and I think that this kind of speaks a little bit more towards why they let Terry go because they let this boy go too, because they do seem to have this like violent tendency right away. And then they kind of feel some remorse and then say, okay, okay, no, no. That's what we're seeing happen with John Bruce. And that's kind of what happened with um, Peter and Terry, whereas they let Terry go. Go ahead.
1: But I think though, I think that they let Terry go. It it could be for a different reason. I think it's because they, he kind of, placated into like what they were doing and i think that that's why he was able to go home
0: well i think, I think it might be different i think is as, as gross as this is gonna sound and please god forgive me for saying this but it kind of turned reed on the fact that he was into it he said let me help do you know because that's what reed's doing with his whole entire life is he's trying to get all of these young new recruits at the army base to join him in what he's doing that's what luckman's right. doing
1: or to or to find like-minded individuals
0: correct yeah so he believes he found one so he's like okay i'm gonna let him go right so i think that it's for those two psychological reasons why terry is able to survive that attack that takes place So the story about John Bruce um, proves that these are very violent offenders and that, in fact, there might be more victims out there. John Bruce never came forward to the police because he simply didn't think that the police were going to believe his story because it was so outrageous. And it, it is.
1: Yeah. And if it wasn't for the evidence, they probably wouldn't have believed Terry either.
0: I agree with that. So the trial began on the 8th of November in 1982. They faced a courtroom and a jury of nine men and three women. Throughout the trial, the two men just blamed each other for what happened that night, on top of Reed blaming voices as well. During the trial, the jurors and the judge were shown pictures of Peter's body, and the room was stunned. The judge was horrified, and the women on the jury broke down in tears, as did a few men. The men were both found guilty of murder and given the sentence of life in prison but the story doesn't end there. There was so much controversy over this case. Because of the viciousness of this, many people wanted these men to face the death penalty, something that Australia does not have. Now, this was a big political move because Australia didn't have a death penalty in 1982 because the federal government, meaning all of Australia, officially is going to abolished the death penalty in 1973. But they're the territories of Australia. They ended the death penalty like decades before, but it was just became a federal rule in 1973. Okay. But in Queensland, it was I think 1922 that they had taken away the death penalty. Wow. So people were saying they were calling for it back because of cases like this. And that's the same with, um, the state of New Jersey with the Megan Kenka case. Yeah. Where he was convicted, he got the death penalty, but then it got taken away because the state stopped it. Yeah. So, people, when it's a violent crime against children, people tend to believe that the attacks on the most innocent and defenseless people in our communities should be given the death penalty. So, I mean, it was, it was very controversial and a lot of politicians got involved calling for the death penalty of these two men. Another thing that causes a lot of controversy with this case um, is Paul Luckman himself. Upon entry into prison, Luckman began to identify as a woman. In 1990, he changed his name to Nicole Louise Pierce. He was growing his hair out and he began hormone replacement um, therapy. So he was taking medication that would eventually grow breasts on himself. And it's because of this that he was moved to, um, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but it's Coma Correctional Facility. And that's near the Snowy Mountains in southern New South Wales. Now this is a prison for male sex offenders and it wouldn't pose as much danger for her as other facilities would because there she was known by the name of Pierce and she was granted private shower time so she never had to be naked around other offenders even though they were still male sex offenders. They didn't want anything physically to happen and that's the job of the correctional facility is to protect those within the walls of their facility. So it was definitely a minimum security place because it held all male sex offenders that weren't going to hurt each other because they were more concerned about those type of offenders in, in general population. Of course, I think it's the same in prisons around the world right. that there's a pecking order when it comes to those who are serving time And child sex offenders are on the bottom of the list. Um, At some point, Pierce was moved to a minimum security facility called Kirkconnell, Kirkconnell Correctional Center in New South Wales. And it is assumed that this is where the gender reassignment surgery took place. And this is controversial because the citizens of New South Wales were concerned that they were the ones footing the bill... For all the doctors and the hormones and the surgery that Luckman Pierce was getting,
1: I I can't believe that. Like, uh,
0: I think it's I think it's very interesting. I understand the hormonal therapy because psychologically it would be steps towards changing your identity. But the reassignment surgery, I think, I mean, this is just my opinion, is something that should be done privately.
1: Right, but you can't get it done privately if you're in jail. You know,
0: I know. Well, well. On top of that, Pierce now because the name has been changed, was released from prison in October of
1: nineteen ninety-nine. That's that's crazy. Yes. Now
0: And that is because of good behavior. That was before they were offered up for parole.
1: Now do you think that it was because of good behavior or it was because it might been the gender have been... reassignment? Hear here my hear my thoughts on that real quickly. Okay. I don't care, you know, I have nothing against any anybody or anything. Um, I just think that it's possible that maybe because of the gender reassignment that that could have been the reason for them letting her out because it probably cost more money to keep her in somewhat of an isolation, like isolation from I know from what you're others. saying
0: and also the hormonal therapy that Correct. has to take place because it probably did cost a lot of money to keep her away Whether it's a minimum security prison or not, whether it's for just sex offenders or not, you now have, after surgery, a female in a male prison, which can lead to complications. Right,
1: because that, yeah, it would cost money to keep her out of Gen Pop. So, like, that's why I'm saying, could that be why she was released in 1999? I guess we won't, we won't. Probably has
0: a, a big factor in the decision that was made. Because I will say that many therapists that did treat Pierce while she was in prison did speak out and say that they believe releasing her was a mistake because they believe Pierce to still be dangerous and she has a high rate of reoffense. So it's kind of interesting that she was released from prison. Now, on the other hand, Robin Reed has. Also, he's been kept in protective custody for his own safety because of his offenses. I think that none of these, both of these men should not have been kept in protective custody. I think they should, if these are the crimes that you're going to commit, you're going to have to face the consequences for it.
1: Yeah, also, I mean, in prison too. I mean, even though they're all there for some sort of offense, whether that be murder, aggravated, you know, whatever, aggravated assault, whatever it might be, drugs, anything you know, there's still a code and the code is right. no harm to children. So it doesn't matter what other people's offenses are. They will go after you because you've harmed children.
0: Well, I also think, too, that it has to cost more money to keep people in protective custody, especially for their, for their safety, because these men didn't appear to be concerned about the safety of Peter or Terry or John Bruce or any of these people. They weren't concerned about the safety of these boys. So why does the New South Wales have to be concerned about their safety
1: right right
0: it's it's complicated but like people have brought to our attention before on other cases that we've brought up is that rape also shouldn't be used as a punishment in prisons and i completely agree with that as well but then i think we need to then look at our prison system and find a way to better police the inmates and not give them so much time together so these offenses can take place do you know what I'm saying? Should be safety for everybody, not just these type of offenders. Because there are people who did drugs or d- sold drugs and now they're in jail and they they have these things happen to them in prison. Yeah, I think I, so if, I think it's yeah. across the board that not none of this should happen. I, I, yeah, I was
1: just about to say that. Across the board, it should be safety for the inmates, no matter what the offense, no matter you know who they are and what their character is. Just across the board, like you said protect them you know because they're there to serve they're there for one reason that's to serve their sentence that's whether true. that be five years or life i mean that that they're there for that so
0: right so reed applied for a redetermination of his sentence on november 26th 1998 and he was given a retrial basically and he was resentenced to life of imprisonment with a non parole period of 24 years, meaning that he was first eligible for parole in 2006. He was denied parole in 2006, and he has been denied for parole every third year since, including this recent year. Now, I have to say, it's interesting, though, that they're going to let out Luckman, but not Reed.
1: Right. Well, that's what I was. It's also, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, look,
0: they're both horrible people.
1: They are. I, I think I I I don't want to say that this is true, but I truly believe that it had something to do with the gender reassignment. I do because and
0: the complications of housing prisoners. Yes, exactly. Especially, I mean, we have to say we are living in a time that's a little bit more understanding. In 2019, I think this was new territory in 1999.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So
0: I think that it was kind of easier to not answer these questions than to answer them for one person.
1: You also have to think about this, too. Their facilities back in 1999 weren't the way they are now that could actually provide the right service for people.
0: Correct. Now let's get to Terry Ryan. The years have not been kind to Terry Ryan the innocent boy forced by Reed and Luckman to perform a sexual act on his best friend before burying him alive. Terry became a pariah, the butt of jokes and taunts by his schoolmates and the community about his involvement in the crime, which was all laid bare during the trial. Terry and his family were assaulted and spit on. At the end of Reed and Luckman's trial, Terry is going to attend the Wilson Youth Hospital for Psychiatric Assessment. After that, he had been in and out of prison for a variety of offenses, including assault and car theft. It was documented to the court in a pre-sentencing hearing that he showed an anti-authoritarian behavior, lack of anger management, and suffered from alcohol and drug abuse. His mother says that he still suffers from nightmares and flashbacks. So it has destroyed what happened it's almost like who he was died that night with Peter.
1: Yeah, I mean and then also their families as well.
0: Yeah, destroyed that fa- both of those families because now you've lost your both of them really technically lost their sons that yeah, night. It's very sad. So then I think it's it's I don't know it and I guess it, it bothers the community that Pierce or Luckman is now out living this life that she wants to and that she can enjoy where you have terry ryan whose life has been ripped apart and only reed is answering for that as well as the death of 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 peter Aston.
1: yeah i mean it's very complicated i mean this case not only is it has not only is it a bunch of twists and turns but you also don't know exactly how to feel yeah like like i said before this right. crazy, overwhelming sadness that I feel about it.
0: I think that's the best way to say it. You don't know how to feel about it because you're yeah. like, what? Yeah. I can't believe this happened. Yeah, it's true. It is an overwhelming sadness, especially, you know, for Terry Ryan trying to survive. And, you know, I also want to say, like, shame on that community for not understanding that a 13 year old boy did what he did to survive, you know, and and shame on them for blaming the 13 year old boy And his family for doing that and making them feel like ostracizing them for it.
1: Also, not to mention that that family wouldn't have gotten justice if it wasn't for Terry telling the cops and showing the cops where this took place and what happened.
0: And he just as easily could have lied, but he he chose not to. He could have said nothing. Right.
1: I mean, I don't think a 13-year-old boy would say nothing after that, but let's just say it could have No, I mean, like, or he could
0: have lied about saying that's how he got out of there. But he's telling the truth.
1: Yeah. So that
0: is a pretty heavy, heavy case. It's rough.
1: Pulls at the heartstrings. It really does. Yeah,
0: it does. And before we go, we just want to thank patrons that have either upped their pledge since the last time we released an episode or have started donating. So we want to thank Sue Lewis, who updated her pledge from $5 to $10, Aaron Frederico. Elizabeth Yetsey, Ashley Felton, Katika Grunseth, Santa Huerta, Leslie Hindrich, Amy Levesque updated her pledge from two to five dollars. Amy, I really hope I said your last name right. I'm sorry. Lineker Pastuch, Blakely Brugman, Katie is donating ten dollars, Teresa Gonzalez, Kat, Kelly Buffone. Hannah Cortade and MB is donating $10. And finally, we have Sharice Willis. She was our first Patreon for the month of August. So we are looking forward to giving you that episode to all of our patrons out there. The second episode on Israel Keys is going to be uploaded on Monday, which is if you're listening to this on Sunday when it's being released, you'll get the the second part of Israel Keys tomorrow. So we're excited to give you that the um, finale of that series. We're really proud of what we've done so far with it. So we're pumped to give you the second half. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you in two weeks.
1: Thank you, guys. Bye.
0: Bye.